You guys know him. He's no strange face. Pastor Merle, if you could come on up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks all you guys for coming this morning. And I think you know we have a privilege. Pastor Abraham from India is here this morning. He's one of the missionaries that we support as a church for a long, long time. A great friend and a great leader. You know, the Bible says, you know, choose this day who you'll serve. You know, it's like every day we choose to serve the Lord. And in India, they're doing the same thing in the midst of incredible persecution, incredible opposition, poverty, but they're winning people to the Lord. 4,500 churches now. So come on up, Pastor Abraham, and share with us. Hallelujah. Well, what a joy and a privilege it is to come for men's breakfast. You know, I get an opportunity, Pastor Tom, make sure that I'm able to come and uh, attend the breakfast and have a, have a little bit of time to share with you. So breakfast is the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> Amen. So <laughs> I... I like that. So when we were coming the other way, I looked at the, the doorway on the other side. And there's only one car standing. And then I thought to myself, how did they know that I am coming? <laughs> so nobody came today and everybody stayed home. And then, of course, when we came here, we saw all the cars. So it is such a joy and a privilege to come in God's presence. And I enjoy the worship, and uh, you're doing a wonderful job. God bless you. I love it. Amen. I have been here before, so many of you must have heard me. And I am um, a pastor in India. Uh, the Lord called me when I was just 21 years old. I was uh, a chemist. I was working in a pharmaceutical company. Uh, life was going on pretty well, a decent job, a good money, uh, a good future. And in the middle of all that, one day the Lord called me for his ministry. And anyone who knows anything about the ministry in India, I believe that you should never come into the ministry. You know, the people, the pastors that I've known, are pastors uh, who have, uh, you know, nothing. You know, their life is such a big struggle. And uh, not having the basic needs of life. Uh, you know, starving, their children starving. And uh, their children go to school. And they faint in the classroom because they have not eaten for three, four days. And I always used to think, well, I should pray for them and I should give them some money. But anyone who has got any common sense should never become a pastor in India. So that's what I used to think. And, and God one day was asking me to do the same. So when the Lord called me, I promise you I was not jumping up and down and telling him, thank you, Jesus, for calling me. Uh, I said to him that it's not a good idea. <laughs> I said, just leave me alone and let me continue on with what I have. Something good and 
decent for me and uh, I can give you more money. Whatever you ask me, but just don't, don't ask me to go and preach the gospel. So anyway, many of us had a fight with God and how does it end? He always wins, right? So that's what happened. So I gave in. I resigned my job. I took a shoulder bag, filled it up with tracks and my Bible, and I walked out of my home. Uh, that was in 1974. Didn't have any idea, any clue what was ministry, what was I supposed to do. I did not know how to preach, so nobody invited me to preach. All I did was just walking around and giving tracks to the people and telling them that Jesus loves them. That's all I knew, and most of them threw the tracks back at my face. Some of them took it, and I continued on doing the same thing. That's all I knew. And I remember as the days passed by, as several weeks down the road, uh, the little money that I had was all now finished, and I ended up in a strange place with no money in my pocket and no place to stay and nothing to eat. What an exciting way of living, isn't it? So now you understand how much I appreciate the breakfast. And uh, so there was times that I literally started to live on the streets. I, I used to wait in the evening for the shops to close down so that I could sleep in front of the shops. I didn't have a place to go. And I used to walk 15, 20 miles every day. Not that I liked walking. I did not have even the few pennies to pay for my bus fare. So buses will come, buses will stop, and buses will go. And I keep walking. Everywhere that I went, I just walked. That was a kind of mode of transportation for me, you know? And uh, go without food for, for a few days. And my biggest miracle in those days was... Uh, to have something to eat. That was my biggest miracle. God has works somebody, somebody's heart, and, and the Lord will want me, you know, to believe God for, a miracle, for, for something to eat. And I remember one day, I was sitting in front of a shop about two o'clock in the morning, and I was upset with God. I did not understand why he called me. Because I was not doing anything much for God, I would have been better off with the job I had. So I was telling God, God, look at me, I am broke. So you are broke, I can't give you any money, you know. So I was sitting there at 2 o'clock in the morning, so upset. And uh, I said, Lord, thank you for calling me. But would you please tell me why on earth did you call me? Why? And uh, say, my name is Abraham. I come from a state where Thomas, the doubting Thomas, came and landed in one of the towns in my state. So there's a great Christian tradition in that state of Kerala, southern part of India. So, you know, we got lots of Orthodox churches, Catholics. So uh, they make sure that all their children are named with biblical names. So if you come to my state, there'll be about 20,000 Abrahams, 50,000 Jacobs, Peters, Johns, it's all there, okay? 
So I started to wonder whether God called me thinking that I was some other Abraham because there were so many of them in my state, you know. So I said, why? Why did you call me? So God spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, son, I have called you for a very specific purpose. One day I'm going to make you to stand before kings and leaders of the government as my witness. So be patient. Uh, we all know that's the only thing that we don't have, right? Uh, how do we pray for patience? We say, Lord, give me patience, but hurry, you know? So that's how we are. So I said to the Lord, you know what? I don't really care about the kings and the leaders and the government. You can keep them. If you really love me, I have not eaten for four days. Just give me something to eat. That'll be the biggest blessing you can give it to me. So that was what was I in those days. And anyway, God did fulfill his promise many years later. It was in 1975 when God spoke to me, when I was literally living on the streets. And then I started my ministry on the streets, you know, because I didn't have any money. So I couldn't have, I hired an auditorium. I had no music group, nothing. I was a one-man show. And I took up four sticks and put a tarp on the top to make it look like a platform. And a couple of gas lanterns. It is pretty cheap to hire. So that was my crusade. So no matter where you are, whatever you are doing, you can pick up 200, 300 people in India. Getting people in India is not a big problem. You know, when you got 1.25 billion people, you know, they're all over the place. So I, I preached to them the best way that I knew, which was not much. So I started to share with them about the, the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I get always excited when I talk about the miracle power of Jesus. And I told them Jesus Christ is here and Jesus will do great things and, and all that. So I said to them, I would like to pray if there is anyone who is sick in their bodies. So I was hoping there should be nobody here. It's about 200 people who is there sick. They're all on the marketplace. So they must be able to walk and they must be able to come around. So and if at all any sickness, there should be somebody who has got a headache or something like that. So I can handle that. So, and as I called out from the back, a guy held on to another person's hand and he walked him through the crowd to me. And as he came closer, I realized this guy was blind. And I'm saying to myself, I didn't ask for this. This is not a blind eyes opening deal. This is just a, just a thing to pray for the people, but now it's too late. The blind man was standing in front of me. The other guy said, you said, your Jesus can heal. Here he is. Open his eyes and send him home. So you can imagine me, you know, I've never prayed for anybody who is sick. And here's a blind guy standing in front of me. I was petrified. I said, Lord, we are really in trouble today. I should not have said this, but it's too late now. So you have to do something. So I laid hands on him. And it was more fear than faith. I literally from my heart cried out, God, please help me. 
And of course, outside I am praying in the name of Jesus. I command the Lord to touch you and I command these blind eyes open. In Jesus' name, I closed my eyes. I was praying and I opened my eyes and the guy was standing in front of me saying, I can see, I can see. I said, no, you can't see. I said, you shouldn't see. You're a blind man. He said, no, I can see, I can see. I couldn't believe. That was the beginning of God's miracle through my ministry. And lame walked and cancer healed. And it was on the side of the road on street meetings. Miracle power of the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed. And the Lord healed them and people got saved. And I baptized them. And that's how my first church was established. That is about 44 years ago. And I thought it works. So I thought I'll continue to do what I have done. Because I believe that anything that works, don't change it. If something is not working, well, try to find something else. So I preach the gospel and I believe God for healing and miracles. Every meeting that I have, everywhere I go, that's what I do. And God confirmed his word with signs and wonders. Amen. So that's how it began. And today we got more than 4,500 churches right across the nation of India. Amen. We, um, I have about 17 orphanages taking care of hundreds of orphans. Uh, in, high, in India, when somebody gets saved, a woman gets saved, a wife, the husband will beat her almost to death and throw her out of the house. She has got to make a choice, either Jesus or get out of the house. So she chooses to get out of the house, that she will not deny Christ. So we take them in, in our churches, we keep them. And all these number of women are all increasing and I'm saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do with all these women? So the Lord said to me, teach them a trade and give them to make a living. So I started a sewing school for these women. And uh, in the early days, I used to teach them to sew. And then instead of giving them a piece of paper, I'll give them uh, a sewing machine as a gift. So by this time, we'll be praying for the guys, the, 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 preach, the husbands who have been beating them up and almost trying to kill them. The guys will be running around with a knife in their hands trying to kill me because I'm the one who have created a problem for his family life, whatever it is. So when she is learning to sew, we'll be praying for the husband to get saved. And I can say to you today that we have not lost even one husband yet. We have prayed every one of them into the kingdom. Amen? Then we take the wife with a, with a dowry of a sewing machine, you know. We give them a better wife back. And uh, so that's how I started. And today I am running 65 sewing schools. In every given day, at least more than a thousand destitute women are being taught to sew so that uh, they can find a better living when they go back to their homes. And even the Hindu women also come and join us and we help them with the same thing. And um, so I run schools and uh, I run 14 Bible colleges.
I never got an opportunity to learn in a Bible college. I couldn't go to a place. I didn't know there was a Bible colleges in those days. So to make up for the difference, I, I started 14 Bible colleges. And so hundreds of young people are being taught in our Bible colleges. Amen. And the work continues on. Friends, India is not the same anymore. Well, India was always hostile against Christianity. India never liked Christians. The Hindus never liked Christianity. So there was always persecutions against the church for the last several decades. Ever since that I started my ministry, I've been beaten up several times. They have left me in the bush unconscious. They thought that I was dead. The only problem is I don't die that easy. Right? Because I can only die once. You can break my bones. You can make my body to be painful. That's okay. But I've got only one life. So I say, it is pretty well safe in God's hands. So I'm planning to hang around here as long as the Lord wants me to be here. Amen? Maybe one day the Lord might say, Abraham, after all, you didn't do a bad job. Come home. If he ever says that to me, I promise you, I will never ask for an extension. Who wants to hang around this lousy place anyway? Amen? So, but today the persecution has intensified. You know, because we have a Hindu government, a prime minister who hates Christians, and he has given the full freedom for the, for, uh, the militant Hindu organizations to do whatever they want. So hundreds of pastors are being killed. You know, hundreds of church buildings were burned down to ashes. Christian villages were all destroyed. And they're having a good time. And uh, they had a convention. Uh, this, this militant group had a convention last month. And they made a declaration by the year 2021. There'll be no Christian left in this country. We'll wipe them out. So now pastors carry a price for their head. They put a price on my head as well. So I want to keep it on my body. You know, so it's a big challenge. And uh, for the first time in my ministry, I lost two of my own pastors. You know, when you hear about numbers, people dying, killed, well, it's the statistics. But when it happens to your own, it's different. It breaks your heart. You know, the boys who grew up with me, who grew and learned in my Bible school, and, and I got them married and I send them into the ministry. And they had two, three children. And working for the Lord, young, serving for the Lord. Shot dead, point blank. Another one stabbed to death. Why did they die? Is that because they were sick? No. Is that because they had old age? No. The only reason they died was because they were being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not back up. They are there in that area where they are glorifying the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's the price that we pay, but we continue on the work of God. The reason why I'm coming through this country is, of course, as Pastor Murr said, I come through the churches and share my heart, my vision, and my burden, and asking my brothers and sisters to help the ministry that we are doing in India. That's why I'm here. I'm not an itinerant preacher. I'm not a great evangelist. 
I'm just a guy trying to reach the lost in the nation of India. Because millions and millions of heaven never heard the name of Jesus Christ once. And that's my passion. I don't want to walk into the heavenless and walk down there and tell him, Lord, here I am. Are you happy that I made it here with an empty hands? But I want to take a bunch of people with me. I want to stand before the Lord one day, carrying all these thousands and thousands of people with me. And stand before him and say, Lord, I wanted to do much more. I'm sorry, this is all I could do. I wish that everyone was saved. So that is my prayer. And we, we need help. We need people to help us to reach the lost in a nation like India. You know, people talk about the economy of India that is only in the cities. One billion people in India live in the villages. They do not have anything much. That, that is their conditions. And we need help. And uh, I'm praying for the Lord to give us 415 bicycles that I'm praying for. There are 415 pastors who are asking for a bicycle. They're not asking for a car. They're not asking for a motorcycle. They want a bicycle so that they don't need to walk like I did, 15, 20 miles every day. $120 a bicycle will make a difference in the life of a pastor. Amen? And uh, we just built a, a school building. We got about seven schools. So we just got the building. We got no furniture. But we started the school last month. So the kids are all on the floor, on their knees, riding. So we like to buy some chairs and buy some desks and uh, some equipment for them to run it and have a little little old bus so that can take them to their, to their homes. So we are praying for $25,000 to get uh, the place furnished so that the school can become a real school. And we need uh, people to support our uh, pastors. I ask $2 a day because the $60 a month will support a hero, like the one who gave his life. There are hundreds of them. You can make a difference. We want a dollar a day to, to support a, an orphan child in India. So many needs there. I have got some brochures with me. You can come and take it. I'll be sitting at this table. And if you wanted to do anything for the work of God, God will literally bless you. Amen? And then i got another few more minutes. So I, 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 I would like to preach a little. Is it okay? Well, you're pretty quiet. Let's go home then. Okay, I want to talk to you a, a, a little bit of a story that happened in the life of, of Elisha, the prophet. And um, it is in the Second Kings chapter 4. Because I don't have the time, I'll just read one verse so that it'll sound like preaching. And then the story is from verse 1 to verse 7. Okay? And I'll run it through quickly. So the... Verse 2, because it's a smaller verse, okay? Verse 1 looks like a bigger verse. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Oh, we know the story. This is Elisha making the oil to multiply. So that is the story. I want to run through quickly and give you 
some of the spiritual insights from the story that we are reading. And the story begins that she is a wife of a pastor. You know, she was the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. And he talks about his good qualities. And he says, this guy, your servant, and you know that he feared God. And he walked in God's ways, but he has got a problem. He was borrowing money from everywhere, left and right. And he suddenly died, leaving his wife and his two sons in such a horrible situation. The creditors were coming to take everything out of their house because he owed money to everyone. So, what do we see? They came and they took the stuff from the house and and they took the fridge, they took the, uh, you know, the, the couch, the beds, everything is gone. Now they said, all we can have find is your two sons, give them to me, so we'll take him as our slaves. She held on to her children and she said, give me some more time, please. And the Bible says she ran to Elisha. So the first lesson we should learn from this story is when you and I face the hardest situations in life. Those problems and situations should drive you and me to God and not drive us away from God. The natural tendency is that when things go wrong, we tend to run away from God. We start blaming Him. We start getting upset with Him. We tell Him that I'm not going to church anymore. I am not going to read this Bible anymore. I won't pray anymore. This did not work for me. It has taken me to the worst place. Friends, what you and I should do is when things happen, which is far beyond yourself, run to God because that's the only place where you and I find answers. Amen? That's lesson number one. And He came, they... He came, she came to Elisha. He was sitting there in the mountain. And she told her, him the story. This is what is happening. They're about to take my sons away. And he's asking, what do you have in your house? What do you have with you? And she has to rake her brains to think because there's nothing. She's coming from an empty house. Everything has been taken away by the creditors. And she has to think hard. And all she could think was on the windowsill of her little kitchen. That there is a little bottle of oil. That's all that is. She said, well, nothing much, Lord. The only thing that I have got is a little jar of oil. That's all I have. So what really makes us to wonder is like, you have a little jar of oil, that's all your provision. But the problem is so great. You owe money more and more to several people. So what am I going to do with the problem that is so big, with the provision that is so small? Well, in the natural, it's not going to do anything for us. But that's where God comes into our life. Amen. In this story, we should do a kind of typology. The woman is like, like you and me, and Elisha is a type of God. So he's asking, what do you have? She already told him, I've lost everything. All that is left is my sons, and they're going to take me, take him away from me. And even then, he's demanding, what is there 
in your house. That is the principle of God. Then we should all know that God, before he will do his miracle, he wants us to participate. And he wants us to do whatever we can so that he can take it from there and do the miracle for us. Amen? And we are always trying to say, but it's a bottle of oil. What good it is going to be? So if you're going to help me, you do it without that anyway. He says, no. I want to know what is in your hand. It has to be the five loaves of bread and the two fishes. And the woman, woman with the alabaster box, she came and broke it at his feet and he said, she has done what she could. Do what we can is the most important aspect of the principle of God. Amen? She said, this is all I have. So he said, I got a plan. So he says to her, I want you to go and get all the vessels from your neighborhood. Begin small. Bring it over into your house. Shut the door. And take the oil and pour it in those vessels. Well, that doesn't sound like a good idea, is it? You got a little bottle of oil and the man of God is asking you to borrow all the vessels from the neighborhood. And she said, okay, I'll do that. So she came. And she sends the two little boys and say, go around the houses and ask them to give the vessels for a, for a little bit of time and we'll give it back to them. So they went. And because the kids are amazing, they're not like us. They don't think the way that we think. They're not too logic like us. So they went and brought the 44-gallon drum for their mother because they, she wanted all kinds of vessels. So all the big buckets and all the big cooking pots and all this stuff were brought to her. And uh, she shut the door and she started pouring the oil in there. So the Bible says, as she poured the oil, the oil kept on pouring, it kept on pouring and, and it stopped when it was filling the last vessel that was in the room. Amen? That was the last vessel. And uh, so the interesting thing is this. I wanted to say one more thing and we we're going to finish. The last vessel, that's when the, the oil stopped. My question is this. If she would have brought 20 vessels, the oil would have stopped at the 20th vessel. You agree with me? But if she would have brought 200 vessels, the oil would have continued on filling up the 200th vessel. Amen? The oil never stops until the vessels are full. And this is the way God works. And I want to say this. Every one of us want God's blessings in our life. And how does it work? How much blessing that I can get from God? And it is proportionate to our obedience to him. So let me just make a statement. Like the level of our obedience will dictate the measure of God's blessings. Amen? If your obedience is five vessels obedience, you will get five vessels of oil blessing. If you will go on all the way, and God will go on all the way for you. Amen? That's another thing we should know. So the more we obey, more God's blessings will flow upon us. Now she has got a room full of oil. Now what are you going to do? 
One more thing and I'm done. What will you do? What will you do when God has blessed you? We have got a tendency, we want God in our needs, but we don't want God in our blessings. We are happy with him. We are begging him. We are going after him. Say, God, please. And God blesses you. Here is full of oil. You can, you can just start an oil shop. Now we can say, oh, I know what to do. I can go and sell it. I can make the money. No. There's one more lesson, the last lesson we should learn. That what she did, she left all the oil and she ran back to the man of God and she said, I got this, but tell me what should I do? Friends, in the middle of your blessing, you run back to God, the one who has blessed you, the one who has taken care of your needs, that you don't just take the blessing in your own way and do it on your own way, but run to him and ask the Lord what you should do and how you should handle the blessing of God. And he said, go and sell it, pay your bad debts and live with the rest of the money. And that's the end of the story. Amen. May the Lord help us and give us the heart to obey him. May the Lord help us to receive God's blessings. And may the Lord help us so that we will go to him and ask his direction to run through what God has got. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Brothers, Lord, I pray your blessing will be upon them. Your anointing will rest upon everyone. God's name will be glorified. You're such a good God. Help us to be like that woman, Lord, who will run to you and who will receive your blessings, Lord, who will do, handle the blessings according to your word. Let it be, I pray, your blessing will be upon everyone who is in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.